Hi. Welcome to Tent Heads, a podcast for families that like to hike, trek, backpack together, and generally just get lost. Uh, these are the things that I've learned to do pretty well. Today on episode one, where we learn that camp is a four-letter word to some, my wife tells me where to go and how to get there. That's nothing new. Uh, why superior is superior, porkies, Israel, pasties, and all, and we'll even work on washing under the pump. Hope you enjoy. I've always wanted to do a podcast. I thought it would be kind of fun doing one on camping because this is something that my family and I have experienced quite a bit. Uh, we've made it all over North America. We've actually done a pretty good job from canoe trips, whether it's on rivers and lakes in Wisconsin all the way up to Lake Superior, or backpacking out in the mountains of the western regions from Glacier National Park down to Death Valley and Grand Canyon. Uh, a couple of the spots we've been to more than once. We really enjoyed them, but we've also made a lot of mistakes. Part of this is allowing us to tell you what we've done wrong, what we've really enjoyed, and hopefully inspire a few to get out there with their families and see if they can't get into the great outdoors as much as we have. Where to start? Yeah, I guess this is a good spot. So we started camping about 16 years ago when my daughter Allison, our oldest, was three. Allie and I went up into northern Wisconsin, the National Forest, uh, had a great time, spent five days up there, and we had really enjoyed ourselves. When we came back, we told her mom about the stories and the things that had happened. Along the way, we had also read James and the Giant Peach, uh, spent quite a bit of time discovering whether it was through creeks or uh, looking at feathers, looking at rocks. We had done all kinds of things together that allowed us to really understand a little bit of how each other worked. Uh, even a three-year-old can get an idea of how their parents react, act, and do things in different situations. And I think getting out of the house really allowed her to understand me a little bit better. And I think it really allowed me to see her in a bit of a different light where she could be a little independent on the trail, find her way, do the things she wanted to do, and have a little autonomy in her life instead of always being told what to do. We had no schedule. Eating, sleeping was about the only thing we were worried about getting enough of. Otherwise, it was just generally a time to hike and enjoy our time in the outdoors. We had great weather. It had been early September. Uh, sunny skies, 75, down to 55 at night. Uh, beautiful camping weather. So we car camped and we hiked during the days along trails in northern Wisconsin. After that initial experience, I found that I really like camping with my kids. So the next year, Jenny and I decided to go on a car camping trip up to the Porcupine Mountains with uh, both daughters, Elizabeth and Allison. Allison was just turning four, Elizabeth was just turning two. We headed on up to the Porcupine Mountains in August and we enjoyed ourselves uh, listening to the waves crashing at the South Shore uh, all night long. It was amazing, and we took walks through the 700-year-old woods up there. I don't know if many of you have been to the Porcupine Mountains. Um, if you ever get the chance, it's worth going to and staying at. Once you're inside, you can look through the trees almost forever because there's no understory up there. You have a clear view underneath the trees. You have these huge old eastern hemlocks up there. Uh, it's probably been five or 700 years since a forest fire went through the area. It, most of it wasn't logged off. So you really see the mother trees as you hike through the woods. You get to point that out. Lots of fresh water. Great hiking trails. Uh, very quiet. Um, while you're up there, 
you'll spend time feeling like you're alone in the world. Uh, it's not even in a flyover area, so you might go days without seeing a plane go over the top of you. That's pretty enjoyable. And one of the other nice things about the Porkies is they have a cabin system, system up there, and they have several cabins. But I would tell anybody going to the Porkies, if you can sign up for Section 17 early in the springtime, when there's still a little bit of snow on the ground, but you can get back into the parking areas, that is one of the greatest treks you'll ever have. It's a small trip back into the woods. You can day hike out of there and be back at your cabin in the evening, heading over to the lakeshore, take another path back, put on eight miles, and have just a great, great day up there. Uh, that early to late May, you know, first three weeks of May, uh, last three weeks of May maybe even better, uh, you can really get into the woods with the flowers just poking their heads through the snow. And one of the coolest things is you'll see the deer kills. As the wolves have killed the deer over the winter in the deeper snow, their bodies are melting out. And you'll see the deer kills as you go. Uh, it's kind of neat just to take a look at how wolves manage that and, and where the different body parts end up. It's kind of crazy, but it's all over. Another thing up there is you're going to be uh, pumping your own water. You're going to have a small fire inside your cabin. It's wonderful. They have a, a cast iron stove. keeps you super warm, so you have to be a little bit careful about how much for, uh, fuel you put in there. But they have the wood ready for you to go, and it's one of the best camping experiences you'll have. Uh, so for you people who are just starting family camping, I would strongly suggest the Porcupine Mountain Cabins if you're in the upper Midwest. That's one of the best places to go. Uh, again, National Forest in that first and second week of September, right after school has started, if your kids are still young enough and not in school, that's a great time to take off. Um, I've been known to take off even early in May uh, and take the kids out of school to do camping when there's not a ton of other people around because those are the times when we can really hike the trails and it's not like you're on an escalator, but you're, you're on your own pace. So early here, I talked about having a four-year-old and a two-year-old in the tent and not having the two-year-old cribbed up so she could get pretty much anywhere she wanted to in the tent. Uh, the next part of that, I'll tell you, is having a two-year-old out, out of his crib for the first time and in a tent with everybody. And at 2 a.m., he's jumping up and down on his sisters joyously, playing with them because he can't believe he's got other people in the crib with him. Now, this makes for a terrible next day. And this is where my wife, I think, pretty much stopped camping with us. And I can't remember which park we were at, but all night long, we had an almost two-year-old jumping up and down on everybody, just so happy to have playthings in the crib with him. And the crib was giant, so he could move around a lot. Uh, so at that point, my wife had pretty much dropped off of uh, camping with us, and now we were on our own. And as happens sometimes, when you're on your own, you find a way to get into trouble before you figure things out. What I didn't realize was that my wife was the better half on keeping common sense in the game. Um, sometimes, I dream big. Who knew? So, one of the things I found out right away is you have to be careful where you go, when you go, and how you go. Because, without another experienced adult, if you get into any trouble, it's hard to get out cleanly. So let's talk about my first big mistake. And this is one I hope none of you ever have to go through. But, I hope you all get the chance. 
Because I think getting the chance to really screw up is more important than actually really screwing up. Or something like that, a coach told me one time. All right, so there we are, heading to Isle Royal. I've got two kids with me. They're five and seven. We're going to go up into Isle Royal and hike the ridge, uh, come back down into Daisy Farm, and then swing back down along the shore, pick the boat up, go across to Mott Island, visit a relative there, and then head back to the mainland. We're figuring four days out on the island. So we're ready for this hike. We get going, have a great time, eat blueberries through that first day, absolutely wonderful. Listen for wolves in the night. We get to uh, our first campsite, and we were actually there pretty quick. We'd found a ton of blueberry bushes. So we eat blueberries, we get our tent set up, and we get ready for bed. I think we caught a few pike that night. We have dinner, we have some hot chocolate before we bed down. We're going to go to sleep, and we're listening for the wolves, and we've got actually kind of an aging hippie population around us. Everybody's pretty cool and pretty quiet. Everything's pretty good. I believe, if I remember correctly, one guy even brought his guitar and was playing softly to himself. Uh, it's that kind of place. It's that kind of national park. The people that show up there, they're there because they enjoy being off in the wilderness with others who enjoy being off in the wilderness because, let's be honest, you're on a rock surrounded by a lot of water, and you're not going anywhere whether you like them or not. So, we go to sleep, have a great night's sleep, get up in the morning, and realize everybody's gone. Eh, who knew hippies got up that early? So the place is empty. We pack up our bags, put our tent back on my back, fill my backpack, and we get rolling. We're heading over to East Chicken Bone Lake. We find a camping site, it's the one of the three set up by the Park Service, and all three campsites are next to each other at Chicken Bone. They really don't want you spread out and camping all over. So this one spot we get, it looks pretty nice. We're down by a little sandy beach. Um, there's two ridges behind us that look like they kind of V up together in the back. It's pretty quiet. I'm thinking, you know, we probably won't hear a lot of wolves tonight. As the afternoon wears on, we feel the uh, air pressure go down a little bit, and it's feeling like it's going to get a little stormy. So I talked to the girls, and we had to bed probably about 8, 8.30 that night. Now we're expecting a little rain. And it starts to rain shortly after we go to bed. And as the rain comes, we're working our way through our evening sleep, and all of a sudden, it feels like there's a ton of rain falling on the tent, and the whole bottom of the tent lifts up about 8 inches. It's almost like somebody's pushing up with an air hose on the bottom of the tent, and we're being lifted right off the ground. Ah, that meant that tent was good. It was pretty much uh, sealed on the bottom really nicely. Uh, what we didn't realize was that we were in the middle of a flash flood area and that those ridges behind us had aggregated all the water and they were coming right down through that little valley and right into that sandy little ditch that headed into the lake right where we were at. So we were suddenly being pushed out by a wall of water right out towards the lake. So the two girls and I got up and we dragged the tent to a higher spot. Now this is where I learned I want another adult with me if I'm going to be stuck in this position. So I don't have anybody to take care of the youngest. So I ask Allison, Allie, you're seven, I'm going to have you be responsible. You take care of your little sister while I get our tent and all of our stuff uphill to this area. And we could not find a flat spot, but a place where I could set up the tent and at least we'd be not being deluged. Now our down sleeping bags are full of water. Everything's full of water. So we're going to be sleeping wet tonight. And it's about 48 degrees. Now, I don't know how many of you have slept in 48 degree weather wet, but 
<sighs> good, good luck with that. It was not fun. Uh, my daughter Elizabeth, she's built like a chicken bone. So she was shivering like mad. Uh, Ellie and I wrapped ourselves around her to keep her warm in the middle, and Ellie froze all night long. I, I felt so terrible for her. I think she still needs therapy over that, and I won't admit it. Um, I need therapy over that, and I won't admit it. So, and Lizzie, by the way, doesn't remember a thing because she slept. So we get through the night, we pack our bag up, or the next day I actually try to hang out the bags and dry as much as I can. Then we pack our bag up, and my bag weighs about 150 pounds. I actually tore a strap trying to carry that bag over the hills to our next campsite. We're going to head to Daisy Farm. And as we head to Daisy Farm, I am dying. But my daughter Liz, the youngest one, she's sleepy because she didn't get a good night's sleep, and she doesn't want to walk any further. Again... This is one of those things that should signal to everybody, you know, being the only person that's capable of carrying this stuff and actually having to do everything else, including the psychology, the therapy department, not healthy. So at that point, I actually built a sling on the back of my backpack and my daughter Lizzie swung on the sling on the back of my backpack. She sat in there and then held on to my backpack and just swung all the way over the hill to Daisy Farm. Meanwhile, Allie walked. Uh, so as we're getting to Daisy Farm, we're late. And when you get to Daisy Farm late, there's no place for you to stay. And this is where I had to eat my words and not be so tough. <sighs> I went to the ranger's house and I told the ranger, I have relatives over on Mott Island, a short ways away. This is my relative's name. Can you call him and ask him to come over and pick us up? He gladly did. By the way, the wind is blowing about 800 miles an hour. It's like hurricane force out there. It's 50 degrees. All of our stuff is still wet. It hadn't dried out that well during the day. So the clothes the kids were wearing was dry, but none of their other things were dry. We didn't have dry sleeping bags. Everything's wet, and the shelters are all taken. And as we're walking through, people had actually passed us, and they're like, hey, are you going to Daisy Farm? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you better hurry because the shelters will all be gone. And, you know, with a 120-pound pack and two kids, you aren't hurrying very well. So you kind of make your way there and you end up late. But, lesson learned. After that, I understood having a second adult really was important. So, that's some of the things you get out of camping. You learn lessons and you learn what you're capable of and you learn what you're not capable of. If you want to go do it again, you have to find out how to manage that situation or you stop doing it. So this was my lesson learned on this one. Hopefully, I can pass that one on to my kids to have the heart and enough care for the people around you that if you enjoy doing what you're doing, find ways to do it, even if that means you have to eat a little crow. And I really didn't mind eating the crow. It's actually been pretty nice having the other adult with me ever since then. And now I've actually incorporated almost all of my family. So I come from a family of 10. And I've incorporated, uh, let's see, my brother Steve, my brother John, my sister Amy, my sister Nancy, my sister Karen, my sister Mary have all gone camping with me and my kids. Uh, so it's been a great chance for them to meet their aunts and uncles, and it's been a great chance for my aunts and uncles, or for my brothers and sisters to meet their nephew and nieces and get a chance to know them under stress that's not like, you know, where are we going to lunch today? 
So that's been one of the exciting things about it, and that is how I learned to take a second adult with me. I also learned that that's why superior is superior. You know, even a bad day on Isle Royal is a better day than most of any place else you're ever going to be. And to be honest with you, a bad day in the Porkies, there's always a pasty just uh, 15 minutes away if you head into Moss. Uh, you can go out to, to uh, Houghton, Hancock area. You can head into Silver City. There's so much to do in that area that Lake Superior is just a jewel. And again, anytime you're up there, if, if you catch it late summer and that water hasn't flipped, you might get a day where you can swim for an hour and a half, two hours without getting chilled to the bone. And then again, if you catch it when the water's flipped and you've got the cold on top, you might swim for three minutes and get back out of there turning purple. Um, but the locals up there know if you see them in the water, jump in and join them. It's a good time. Uh, if you get a chance to go to the Porkies, by all means, look up those cabins and rent the cabins. There's no more beautiful spot than the cabins that are hikings into the woods. Uh, they've got great campsites, great trails, lots of wildlife. It is an arboreal rainforest, so you're going to get wet. Enjoy that part. Um, same thing on Isle Royal again. When you go to Isle Royal, understand that you're going to get wet. But that's cool. That's okay, as long as you've planned on it. So now we've covered part of this. Uh, you now know why Jenny, my wife, thinks camp is a four-letter word. Um, you also know that Superior is Superior, and the Porkies uh, and Isle Royal are two of the greatest places that I think anybody can go and enjoy the weather. Uh, along with uh, how, where my wife tells me where to go. So, this is where my wife told me where to go and how to get there. She said, if you like doing those trips, honey, you go do those trips. I'm not doing them with you. But, enjoy yourself. If you have a dream of going to someplace bigger, go to someplace bigger. I came from a family of ten. We didn't have much money. My parents were construction workers. My dad's a construction worker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, big Catholic family. We lived in a city, Madison, Wisconsin, and, and we really enjoyed ourselves. But we didn't get chances to go camping, go hiking. Big vacations were out of the way. Uh, the first person in our family to go to any place that seemed wild was my sister Karen moving to the Tetons and working for the summer. Um, when I was 16, 15 and 16, I was out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and got to see the mountains out there. I, I was fortunate enough to end up being asked out there for the Olympic Training Center and to see the mountains and get up into the mountains. They actually let us just walk off the place and go up into the mountains when we were 15 years old. Crazy as that sounds, but I really enjoyed being up in the Garden of the Gods area. And that's where I got my first kind of love of the wilderness up there. Uh, so my wife was telling me, you know, if you want to do something, go do it. And I thought, I think I'd like to try something like the Grand Canyon. I know a lot of people go there. I know it's an escalator. Uh, I, I know that I'm not going to have a campsite alone. I know I have to plan way ahead of time. I look it up online, and I see all the things you have to do to get in there. But I also know that that's one of those places that I think it would be just fantastic to go. Um, you know, I'd seen it on, on Disney as a child, and they did the video with the grandeur of the Grand Canyon, and all I could think was, you know, that's one of those places that I really wanted to see all my life. Now I've got two children with me that can go with me. Uh, Lizzie was seven at the time, Allie was nine, and we decided to take a backpacking trip down into the Grand Canyon. I needed a second adult. After my first experience in Isle Royale a couple of years before, I knew that I was a little reticent to try this one on my own, so I called my sister Karen and I said, Hey Karen, 
You know all those times you tortured me when we were kids and you were bigger than I was? I'd like to get you back right now. Why don't you come to the Grand Canyon with me and my kids? Karen, who had had her kids and she was kind of out of the child-rearing stage, uh, really thought, you know, it'll be kind of neat to go with my nieces down to the Grand Canyon. She had lived at the Grand Canyon for a while. Her and her husband had worked in the, uh, in the maintenance department. Keith was head of maintenance. Uh, Karen, along, had worked in the maintenance department down in, in Grand Canyon. And so they had experienced the Grand Canyon. But Karen also had young children when she was at the Grand Canyon. So in her three years at the Grand Canyon, she would go to the rim almost daily, look down and say, mm, 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 those people are crazy for walking down in there. And every day, Keith would come home with stories about, oh, you won't believe what this guy did down in the canyon. These people are going to kill themselves down there when they act like that. I can't believe they go down there. So this was a regular conversation they'd had. Uh, when I brought it up to Karen, my brother-in-law Keith said, What would you want to do that for? Are you nuts? Dinner's ready whenever you're ready. So... The last thing I promised to get to on this, ep on this episode, uh, washing under the pump. So, if you've got young children and you really enjoy their screams, there's nothing like a cold hand pump in the morning to bring out the best of them. And yes, I've done this. Because there are times when kids need to just wash and the lake isn't doing the job. Uh, Superior had been pretty cold. The kids were complaining about it. And we hadn't gotten out into the water much that week, so we went to wash under a pump. It is something all, all the kids, both girls and Andy, carry with them to this very day. When I say, I'm going to wash you under the pump, they cringe and talk about how terrible it was. It, it's one of those things that I think, at my funeral, they'll probably go, remember washing under the pump? Oh my God, I can't believe he did that to us. But yes. If you get a chance to do it with your children, by all means, take part. I shaved there also, and they pumped water on my head, and it was freezing cold. But it was also one of those things that eight minutes later, as you're walking down a 75-degree uh, trail, and it's nice and sunny on your head, it's all gone, and it's just something you can joke about for the rest of the, your life. These are the things that we've done camping, and our family really has had a good time. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Hopefully, they'll get better as I go. Uh, I'm not the greatest speaker in the world, sorry about that. Uh, I'm a construction worker, for a reason. Uh, there's a reason I'm not on television, there's a reason I'm not in radio, and there's a reason I don't spend time in front of audiences. I'm not the greatest speaker ever. But what I can tell you is I'm an enthusiastic camper who really likes going out with his kids, and in our future episodes, hopefully I'll get together with my sister Karen, my sister Amy, uh, even my sister Nancy and brother John, get a chance to let them let you know what it was like to be on the camping trips, how it went family camping. At one point, we had 13 people in a family hiking through the Wind River Range, or what it was like to do the Annapurnas in Nepal hiking on up into the mountains in a foreign country. These are the things that we've been fortunate enough to do. I hope you get the chance to, too. Take care. <laughs>